Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Welcome, like I said, we're going to be talking about something today, and I've called it deconstructing construction. Deconstructing construction. Now, the definition of the word deconstructing is a way of, or deconstruction is a way of understanding how something was created. Usually things like art, books, poems, and other writings. Deconstruction is breaking something down into smaller parts. Deconstruction looks at the smaller parts that were used to create something. The smaller parts usually being ideas or postures or behaviors. So essentially what we're doing... um, is we're talking about the postures, behaviors, or ideas that have built our lives up. Some of them being constructive and other of them being de- deconstructive. And so with that, um, I think a lot of the times when, we, when I say, you know, oh, you know, you guys believe in God, you believe in Jesus, right? We'd probably get some hands up in here. But I think a lot of the times what we don't really want to talk about is like the devil and Satan and all that stuff. And he's actually alive and, ru- and well today. And I think a lot of the times what we do is we want to focus on God's plan, but we maybe forget that the, the enemy's got a plan for your life too. And essentially what I'm trying to kind of set you guys up for today is that God is trying to construct, when we say yes to Jesus, immediately his plan, it says actually in Philippians that he's placed a good work within you that he wants to see come to completion. And so what we see a lot of the times in scripture is God's wanting to build something with your life. He's wanting to construct something with your life. Okay. Now, what the enemy wants to do, though, is he wants to deconstruct that thing. Because we know that when God constructs something with your existence, it's for the embetterment of the world. And the enemy don't want that. He don't want you reaching people for Jesus. He don't want you being a a billboard for faith. He doesn't want you doing any of that. He wants you to kind of not live a very good life. And you know what's funny, though, is I... uh, I won't say that I know a ton about construction. I know very little outside of what people tell me to do. But I know this, you know, I think, you know, some of us maybe need a little picture of this. If I was redoing a bathroom and I got a, I got a tub, and right before I put the tub in, I took a jackhammer and just drilled a hole in it, and then I put it in, right? The tub would be in, but it would not be functional, and I think a lot of the times that's what the enemy wants to do is he, God gives a principle, God gives an idea, God gives something of purpose and something of meaning. And so, and we're like, yes. And the enemy's like, I'm going to drill a couple holes in that so that thing is leaky, broken, and over time kind of rendered inefficient. And you know, for me personally, I think a lot of the times what we do is we try to compartmentalize the enemy. We try to say, all right. These are my weak areas, and if you don't know your weak areas, I would encourage you, maybe ask somebody close to you, because they could probably tell you, right? They could probably tell you a few of them. Some of us may not like the answer, but we're not talking about if you'll like it. So here's the deal, though, but I think a lot of the times what we as Christians do, this is a chair right here, and so a lot of the times what we do is we're like, all right, devil, you sit right there and don't move. You're right there. I know how you're going to attack me. I know what you're going to do. You sit right there. I'm going to tell you a story and you'll understand what I'm saying. When I was in high school, I always found ways to have an assigned seat. I'm going to need my water up here too. I'm getting a little raspy. Don't worry. I took my temperature this morning, 97.1. I am ice cold. Got ice, got ice in these veins. Anyway, 
But here's the deal. I always, 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 for some reason, had an assigned seat. It didn't matter if it was the bus. It didn't matter if it was at school. It didn't matter if it was in church. I was in the front row with my mom. My mom's like, amen, I raised them right. I'm like, yeah, well, I was still in the front row, and it stank. Anyway, so here's the deal. I I grew up with an assigned seat all the time. Now, one year, my senior year, this teacher had kind of heard about me, and so I walked into school that year, and usually I had a buffer the first month. I could not unleash havoc, but a little bit unleash havoc for the first month, and then all of a sudden it was like, boom, this is your seat. I can keep an eye on you, that type of thing. Um, Pam's a teacher in here. She knows. She's like, yeah, you'd have an assigned seat in my chair. Chained to it. Anyway, I remember I was like, I walked in and this teacher was like, Micah Shepla? And I was like, yeah. She's like, your seat's going to be right here. She's like, and this is her desk right here. And I'm just like, what? Why are you? I'm like trying to act all like, why? Like, I haven't even done anything. She's like, no, you're, you're going to be sitting right there. I was mischievous. I wasn't a terrible kid, but I made sure the class was entertained. If, if you couldn't tell. Okay. So I was like, I was like, well, this is unfair. This is in, unjust. This is wrong. But over time, guess what? I settled into my bubble being the teacher's bubble. If you want to ask me if we were social distancing, we weren't. I was genuine. We were genuinely this far apart. And so I remember I was, uh, I had kind of this assigned teacher, but here's the thing she didn't realize is I sat there, and as I was sitting there, I realized she had a massive jar of Andy's chocolates on her desk. Massive. Now, here's what you got to realize. This is like 10 years ago, and Andy's chocolate, they were the cutting-edge candy. Cutting-edge. Now, some of y'all, you might be them parents that hand out that trash candy at Halloween. Uh Uh-uh, I don't like you. I'm dead serious. I work with the kids' department here. Every year when we're playing in Halloween stuff, I'm like, we ain't getting crap candy. I don't care if you like Tootsie Rolls. I don't care if you like Sprees. None of that stuff. We ain't getting none of it. We're getting the good stuff. Grace likes Tootsie Rolls. Who likes to? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Chances are you've been long enough, alive long enough or Tootsie Rolls is the only thing around. I say that out loud. Who cares? Don't judge me. Online, still love you. Still with you. What's up? Oh. Uh, But it's funny because Andy's had like, it was the craze back then. I used to get Andy's. Andy's was my thing. I just bought some at Meyer last week, didn't I? Yeah. Um, But here's the deal. Andy's was, and guess what? You better believe every time she turned around at the board, Andy's. Every every time she like talking to the class over here, Andy's. I'm like, dang, I like this front row seat. The homies, the homies be like, yo, give me some Andy's. I'm like, I got you. Wow. Yeah, we got the Andy. Everybody getting turned up on the Andy's, right? And it was funny, though, because at the end of the year, she never noticed. Anyway, by the end of the year, my teacher comes up to me and she goes, yeah, amen. Amen. <laughs> oh, Lamar, that's your. So, Lamar, I love you. Um, but at the end of the year, here's the deal. My teacher pulled me aside. She goes, hey. I bought Andy's at like, like four times more this year than normal. Is there, is there anything you want to tell me? And I'm like, you know, because I know I, I did have a, a, a righteous conscience where I couldn't lie. I was like, you know, um, I can't tell you if they escaped into my hands, but I can tell you they tasted good. Right, but we like joked about it. But over the year, man, I'm telling you, 
I robbed and absolutely took advantage of the Andy's jar on her desk. Every single class period. But what's funny is, let's go back to the devil in the seat, right? You're right there. And you don't move. You, you attack me in these areas, but guess what? You're, you stay right there. But we don't realize that he's robbing us maybe a little at a time in things that we don't see. We don't realize that, man, he, we maybe have two or three weaknesses, but guess what he's trying to get us to do? Have seven or eight or nine. He's, here's the deal. Deconstructing something isn't like this super hard thing to do when you know how to do it. And I think that's what the enemy wants to do is he sees God's plan for your life. He knows God's got purpose. He's got meaning. He's got something for you. And he wants to assess it and be like, actually, this is what I can do. Maybe some of us, we're looking for a life of, of fulfillment and happiness. And the enemy's slowly eroding away our marriage. Slowly eroding away our conscious of what it means to love our neighbor. Slowly eroding away the prioritization of a relationship with the Lord. Slowly eroding away some habits or things that have been buffers against what the enemy's wanting to do in your life. And he's slowly eroding these away and we're just not even aware of it because it's only one tiny thing at a time. I can promise you this. I've seen a lot of tiny things here turn into big, huge issues in people's lives. Because they just weren't aware. And I want to encourage you. Today we're on a journey of awareness. A journey of awareness. What I want to do is I want to read a scripture, a passage. And essentially it's funny. It's in Luke chapter 17. The reason I'm pointing it out is because it's one of these where Jesus kind of snuck in this reference. Where it doesn't really fit the reference it feels like. But there's a meaning to what the reference is. That you're like, okay, this kind of makes a little bit of sense. But before we do, it's kind of, this whole passage is about the, the end of time and, the, and, and when Christ is going to return. And, you know, whether you're somebody who studies this or you're a conspiracy theorist who thinks they know the exact hour, date, time, and second, I will say biblically, that's not what it says. You know, it says he's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to come unexpectedly. You're not going to know. And essentially, that's kind of what Jesus reiterates in this passage of Scripture is this point that, listen, nobody knows when Christ is going to come back. But he, he kind of trickles in this little, this little phrase that I wanted to point out. It says this, Luke 17, 26 to 33. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and be given to mar being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, so we're comparing two different time frames. We're comparing Noah and we're comparing Lot. Now, Noah is this massive piece of time where he builds an ark. Nobody's, there's, it's never rained from the sky, right? So there's really no need for a massive boat on land because no water's ever been, you know, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So essentially, he builds this boat for 100 years, and then two by two, all these animals come in. And, and Jesus is painting this picture of all these people knew what was going on. Now, I'm not going to lie. If I was somebody watching two by two, thousands of different species of animals walk into a boat, I might get a little curious. It's like people are like getting married. They're like, wow, what animal is that? That is cute. It's a, Noah's like, it's an elephant. You know, people are just like, oh, okay, well, we're back to the party, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, whatever. You know, over time, right, everybody's doing their thing. Everybody's going through the motions. Everybody's doing what society and culture says to do. We're doing it. And then guess what? The flood happens. And pretty much the human race is restarted. Now, this 
instance, though, what we're talking about with Lot is an interesting one. It says this, verse 28, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with, the good, with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Now, these are the two passages of Scripture we're, we're kind of forming this context today around. Remember Lot's wife. Now, we know we just talked about Noah. We know we just talked about Lot. What in the world are we talking about Lot's wife for? Now, this is actually one of the shortest passages of Scripture in Bible. In the Bible, remember Lot's wife. Shortest passage in the Bible, Jesus wept. So one of the shortest passages, and Jesus doesn't necessarily like. In the New Testament, if you try to find references to Lot and his wife, guess what? They're not there. Why is Jesus bringing up Lot's wife? Don't worry, I'm going to tell you. But before I do, let's read this one. Verse 33, remember Lot's wife, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Now, kind of a hard phrase to kind of break down, right? Whoever seeks to keep his life loses it. Whoever loses his life keeps it. That's just an interesting phrase. But essentially, in Genesis 19, the story of Lot and his wife, what happens is, is God looks down on this town and he goes, man, this town is a debauchery. It is terrible. And actually, if you want to read the story, it is crazy. So what happens is he tells Abraham, he goes, hey, I got to destroy this town. It's like bad. And you know when God's like, hey, I got to destroy this town. It's bad. Chances are it's probably bad. And so essentially he's like, okay, I got to destroy this town. And Abraham starts to plead because he knows his relatives in this town lot. He goes, well, if there's 100 people, righteous people in the town, will you save it? Is there 50? Is there 25? If there's 10, if there's 5? Finally, he kind of talks God into sending an angel to go get his relative and bring him out of the town before he rains down all of this destruction. And so what happens is, is an angel, once again, I, I need to point that out, because we as Christians, we read passages of Scripture, and we're like, oh, angel showed up, led Lot out of town, rained down fire, town gone, okay. It's like, how many of you guys know an angel shows up at your house, knocks on the door, and says, I'm an angel. Follow me. This whole town is going to be destroyed. I would follow. Can I get an amen? I hope. If, I mean, in this day and age, that might actually happen. But in that day and age, that didn't happen much. So what happens is they leave. Now the angel gives one command. Follow me. And by one, I mean two. Follow me and don't turn around. Don't look back. We are going forward into the life God is constructing. And don't look back at the life God deconstructed. And what happens? They follow. But Lot's wife, instead of looking forward and following forward, looks back, turns into a pillar of salt, and instantly loses her life. Now, what's going on here is a war of what is God constructing and what's being destructed. And so what happens is, is this, his wife is caught in this place of looking forward, but also looking backward, and in turn not being able to go anywhere. And I think this is just the issue I find with a lot of people when we want to follow God, is we want to keep our eyes forward, but man, it's just so easy to look back. It's just so easy because those behaviors or those tendencies or those mindsets, they were so comfortable for us. 
oh, that way of functioning, it just felt good. And you know what a lot of that just resorts down to? Control. The things that feel good are usually the things that we can control, but actually inadvertently are also the things that destroy because human control versus godly control are very different. And so what we see in Scripture, right, is this instance, but another passage of Scripture that talks about keeping your eye up is found in Matthew where essentially Jesus says, hey, put your hand to the plow and anybody who does it who looks back is unfit for the kingdom is unfit for kingdom work. Now, here's what you need to realize. Essentially what he's pointing out is in that day and time when somebody would plow a field, they would, they would set the oxen on a line and they wouldn't deviate from the line because what would happen is if they did is they could throw off the alignment and, and kind of the curation of what the field was. And so essentially what he's saying is, hey, when you put yourself in line with where you're supposed to go, you can't deviate from it because you'll throw off everything that's gone on around in that field. And so when people would come, if they were really good at plowing the oxen, right, they would be able to keep their eyes up, focused, and direct the train ahead without looking side to side or back. Because if they did, they didn't have a job anymore. They weren't fit for it. They weren't fit for that job particularly. And Jesus is using a cultural reference saying, hey, this job in the kingdom is predicated on your ability to stare at me and walk towards me and never look around or look back. So we got an Old Testament reference, we've got a New Testament reference, we've got a lot of different references, but I think what it comes down to today is the complexity of focusing on what God's wanting to construct versus how the enemy wants to deconstruct it. So what I want to do is I want to give us a couple things today. And essentially I'm talking about how to get rid of deconstructive behavior so God can construct something new. How do you get rid of deconstructive behaviors that are simultaneously, God is trying to build your life into something that are simultaneously tearing it down? Because I'm going to tell you this, right? You're either working forward or you're working back. Nobody's ever really working staying the same. And so what we're talking about is how to get rid of these deconstructive behaviors because a lot of the times I think some of us, we're not even aware of deconstructive tendencies in our life and we wonder and look at God and say, why am I not fulfilled? Why am I not happy? Why do I not have perspective? Why do I feel like I don't have a future? Why do I feel like nothing's going my way? Why do I feel like everything's wrong? And I want to encourage you, if these are feelings that we're having, a lot of that is translatable into the fact that maybe we have deconstructive behaviors that we're projecting onto God's construction. He can't build us up if we're jaded, offended, bitter, we don't have grace, we don't have love, and we don't really pursue him outside of this once in a while deal. It's just so easy to blame God for our behaviors than to take responsibility for them. But this is the place of true repentance and saying yes to the journey. It's an awareness of our deconstructive behaviors and how we need to walk away so he can construct something new. So the first one I want to give you, if you land, live in a land of comparison, you'll die in a land of compromise. You know, I find so often what we do is we as people, we look at people we emulate, we look at people who we want to be, we look at people who have the appearance of having it all together, and then what we do is we try to take that and apply it to our life. Well, they have this, they have that, they have, the, they, you know, their social media makes it look like they're perfectly happy. Okay, I need to live, do, and act exactly like they do. And I'm going to tell you this. This is essentially where Lot's wife was. She's headed towards... The promise, 
She's headed toward protection. She's headed toward safety. She's headed toward something new. And you know what happens? Ah, let's look back at where I was again. Because I want to compare it to where I'm going. Because back there was fun. Back there was comfortable. Back there I liked. And actually what you see is they fought a little bit with the angels when they left. They didn't really feel good about, you know, leaving behind everything because it really wasn't that bad. Man, isn't that the lie that I think the enemy tries to sell us? It's not really that bad. Your behavior is not really that bad compared to other people. You know, you're not really that terrible compared to this person. You know, you're, and essentially we're, we're, we're buying this product of complacency and wondering why we're not complete. We're buying this product of, okay, well, this is just how it goes. This is just how it is. This is just who I am. This is just how I was raised. This is just how it's always going to be. And we're wondering why we never are whole. I want to encourage you. There's a couple passages um, of scriptures in Proverbs that I'm kind of going to read a little bit later. But for some of us, we're wondering, man, why do I not feel like I'm really doing anything? And it might be because you've compromised everything. And God can't do anything because we truly haven't even prioritized him. We haven't even pursued him. And so we project pain onto him and we project displeasure and we project all of these emotions. And God essentially is saying, listen, I really want to change you, but you've got to be open to changing yourself. See, God doesn't fight for control. He's not going to fight you for it. What he's going to do is he'll, leave, he'll give you to your own control and see kind of what happens. And then hopefully get you to turn to him. This is something that's found all over in the Old Testament. I mean, I think in the book of Judges alone, I counted like 20. It's in the 20s, like 24, 26 separate times where he would bless his people, give them favor, give them a redeemer. And then they'd walk away because they got comfortable. He would leave them, pull his hand of protection and provision off of them. They would stumble, be dominated, be enslaved. They'd cry out. He'd raise up another redeemer. Blessing, favor, walk away because of comfort. All back and forth, looking numbers. I mean, at one point, literally, the Israelites have watched an entire sea swallow the Egyptian army, and they are thirsty, and they say, I wish we were still slaves. All you are is thirsty, and you want to go back to slavery because you had water there. It is just so easy sometimes to just compare, and in comparing, compromise. And in compromise, stay in place. And in staying in place, just settle for a mediocre existence where we're never happy, fulfilled, or whole. Yes. I want to encourage us as people today, if we live in the land of compromise, or in the, of comparison, we'll die in the land of compromise. Let's not compare our lives with others. Let's sign up for just being new construction projects for the Lord. The second thing is this. Evaluate if you have information bias. This is what I would say is destroying the church today. Destroying it. It's essentially what we do as Christians is we are supposed to follow the Bible and Jesus' example. You know what Christians like to do? Okay, let's follow the Bible, Fox News. Let's follow the Bible, CNN. Let's follow the Bible, Facebook. Let's follow the Bible, this person I really like. Let's follow the Bible. And it's this constant war of like, okay, you know what information bias is, Right? It's when key information is either measured, collected, or interpreted inaccurately. Now, none of us are going to say, I interpret information incorrectly. But what we fail to do is take the information we've interpreted and applied to our life 
and apply it to Scripture. That's what happens. And you know what? That's the easiest thing about information bias when it comes to, the, when it comes to Christians is if we can take the information that we've taken and applied to our life and apply it outside of biblical context, chances are you have information biased. You know what's crazy is I think a lot of the times Christians would rather ruin their witness on the issues of politics, race, mask wearing, anything you want to pull out of the clouds right now because information bias has allowed us to rather than, okay, let's weigh it in the sight of loving God and our neighbor. What does the Bible say? Well, this person said this. What does the Bible say? Well, this network said this. What does the Bible say? This is what this politician said. This, what does the Bible say? Well, this is kind of how I feel today. What does the Bible say? Well, this is my background. What does the Bible say? Well, this is who I'm always around. Jeez. And some of us, we're looking and going, God, why can't you construct anything? And God's like, well, because you're so jaded and one-sided that I can't even bring your neighbors around you because you can't love them. Got quiet, sorry. Man, it's just we are called to change the world, but in the process of doing that, what the enemy's done is he sold us this, this good of being right. He sold us this good of this is how you're supposed to do it. And slowly stole the Andes away of love. Slowly stole the Andes away of not being bitter, of not being offended, of having grace. Man, in our world today, I pray that we are not victims of information bias. And in turn, our house has been deconstructed. And we're projecting unhappiness on God when essentially he's looking and saying, you haven't followed me or my word and you're wondering why you haven't gone anywhere. You know, Proverbs, a couple verses, Proverbs 1, 7, fools despise wisdom and guidance. When was the last time we went into conversations looking for wisdom and guidance from somebody who maybe thinks different, looks different, acts different, believes different, has a different political background, whatever it is. Fools, they despise wisdom and guidance. You know, there's a passage, a phrase, Proverbs 24, verse 3. Sorry, I'm jumping way back, media team. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. I love this one because wisdom can build you a house today, but your understanding is the only way it stays standing. And some of us, right, if, if I asked you, how understanding are you of other people? How understanding are you of different viewpoints? How understanding are you? of God's word? How under, man, we might answer that question in a way we don't really want to answer it. But understanding is what keeps your house built. Wisdom can build it. Understanding keeps it up. Proverbs 10, 17, whoever heeds instruction is on a path to life. Proverbs 12, 15, my personal favorite, a the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, always. <laughs> the way of a fool is, man, if I'm right, I am right. It's like you could get on social media right now. It's like this has 600 comments of people arguing about who's right. I would venture to say it falls in this category. It's like how often do we truly be people who are like, you know what? I might not be right. I'm okay to somebody else's opinion. I'm okay with somebody else's viewpoint. And guess what? If we don't agree on it, guess what? We're not always going to agree on everything but we can still choose to love people. The last thing is this. Determine to live from the past, but never return to it. 
This is what I think is the hard, one of the harder things in the church. I believe the information bias is very important and pertinent to today. But this one has, from, from the beginning of time, been the, been the thing that attacks the foundation of faith. Right? Is that we cannot separate from our past. We can't just learn from it. We always want to return to it. And, and here's the deal. What we have to realize, in my life, I will say this. Uh, just based off of scripture and kind of the things that I've implemented, I have made mistakes and I have failed a lot. But I can tell you this, I don't get beat the same way over and over again. I'm not going to lose the same way over and over again. I'm not going to make the same mistakes over and over again and then look at God and say, why am I still making the mistakes? God wants to address behaviors he wants to address mindsets. He wants to address habits. He wants to address these things. And a lot of them, they're just tied to your old life. They're tied to your old way of thinking. If you want to do a deep dive on this, you can go through the epistles all day long. And it talks, Paul is writing the church, the new church, and saying, hey, put off the old way. Put off the fleshly desires. Renew your mind. This this process is so hard for people because, once again, it goes back to this. The enemy tries to sell us this counterfeit bill of happiness, peace, wholeness, prosperity. And he roots it in control because he knows if he can get the control in our hands and not God's hands, he's won. So he's never going to come up to you and say, all right, we need to take control of your life. We need to take control. Focus on happiness, peace, and all these things that culture says is right. What he does is he says, wow, do you really want to pay the cost of that? Man, is it really worth going to church or is it really worth reading your Bible? Do you really feel like that? Is it really worth getting around people who will challenge you? Is it really worth pursuing friendship and relationship with people who will call you out? Is it really worth being committed? Is it really worth prioritizing me? Is it really worth it? Once again, let's get the control of your life in your hands rather than the pursuit of godly control in his. And I want to encourage you. What cost Lot's wife more than anything was this place of following an angel into where she was supposed to be, into protection, into promise, into life, and what her old life was. And because she couldn't choose, she just lost it all. And I want to encourage you today, I think this is the hardest thing for us as believers to admit or pursue, is that we have things in our new life that are still in our old life, and it's deconstructing who we've been called to be. We're saying, okay, God, build this. Okay, God, do this. Okay, God, I'm in for this. But at the same time, assessing our previous behaviors and applying them to our present realities. I want to encourage us. The choice today is will you leave the things behind that are trying to keep you stuck in place? Will you recognize the things currently in your life that are tied to a previous way of living and are deconstructing the thing God wants to construct? Will you even admit it? Let's, let's not even talk about being aware because I think inadvertently all of us right now, we're processing and we know these things. But will we admit it? Will we give it to the Lord and say, man, my behavior, 
this attitude, this disposition, this way of thinking, this way of living, this way of doing, I can't have it if you're going to construct my life. But it starts with you.